everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we're going to be talking about choices and consequences. This is Joshua 23 and 24. When my kids were really young, they used to say things often like, Mom, I don't want to do that, or I can't do this, I want to stop, things like that. And a lot of times I would say, okay, well, don't do it then. And then they would say, but if I don't, then I'll get in trouble, or if I don't, I'll get a bad grade, or whatever. And then I'm like, yeah, you're right. If you don't do this paper, then you're going to get a zero. Or if you don't do this thing that I'm telling you to do, then you're going to be in trouble. You're right. And then they'd say, well, then I have to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, then do it. But it's I'm like, okay, then don't. And what they wanted was to do what they wanted to do and not have the consequence of it, right? And we all want that. But when I presented them with the choice, they were like, I really don't have a choice. I'm like, no, you have a choice. And they're like, well, I don't like that choice. I really don't have a choice. If I don't want to get in trouble, then I don't have a choice. If I don't want to get a bad grade, I don't have a choice. And it's like, right, (laughs) that's right. And that is what Joshua does to the Israelites today. He's explaining to them that they have a choice and they end up saying to him, we really don't have a choice. This is not a choice. This is not a good choice. We don't choose those consequences, therefore, we don't have a choice. So at this point, Joshua has allotted all the land to the people. They've been living in it 10 or 15 years now. And he's like, I've gotten to rest in this land, and I know that I'm getting old and I'm about to die. And so he gathers all the people around and he says, you know, I just want to tell you all some last parting words before I die. And so. This is Joshua 23. I'm going to read you what Joshua says to them, beginning in verse 2. And he says, Now I'm old and well advanced in years, and you've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that you've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess the land just as the Lord has promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear to them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. One man puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord who fights for you, just as he promised. Be very careful, therefore, and love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap to you. 
a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land that the Lord your God has given to you. And now I'm about to go the way of the earth. And you know in the heart, in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord has promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he's destroyed you off this good land that the Lord your God has given to you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and you go and you serve other gods and you bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you will perish quickly from off this good land that he's given to you. So what he's talking about is how God has fought for them and he's driven the nations from before them, but there are still some people living within them. And so he's encouraging them and saying, but God will drive those people from you just like he did the rest of them. Just continue to fight, continue to rely on God and he'll drive those people from you. But then he says, but if you don't, if you do not do what God told you to do and wipe them out completely, then they're going to be a snare to you. They're going to be a problem. And you will eventually begin to worship their gods and do things that are wrong. And then God will drive you from the land too. So don't do that. Make sure that you do not befriend these people, that you do not uh, decide that you're just going to let them stay here, but that you're actively you know, resisting them and their culture and all of the things that they bring. And with the thought in mind that you're going to push them away eventually, they're not going to be part of your land. That is your best bet. If you don't do that, you're going to have problems. And so Joshua, you know, he, he sees that, you know, the job's not quite done and he's a bit nervous about what is going to happen whenever he dies because he knows that all of these nations aren't gone yet. And so he's like, please rely on God. Make sure that you wipe these people out. Don't let them stay here. If you do, it's going to be a problem for you. Then in the next chapter, he just begins by reciting their history to them. He's telling them all the things that have happened up to this point. And this is to encourage them to rely on God. It's like, look at everything that God's done for you. Don't you want him to be your God? Don't you want to worship him? Don't you want to serve him? Look at all the things he's done. So I'm going to read the first part of this chapter to you, the first 13 verses of Joshua 24. And it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, their judges, their officers, and presented them before God. And Joshua told all the people, This is what the Lord God of Israel says, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. The other side of the river was the Euphrates River, so they had lived in... Iraq on the other side of the river before God called Abraham. That's where his family lived. And it says that his family worshiped other gods. Terah was his dad and he worshiped other gods, but God called him out from Iraq across the river into the land of Canaan to worship him. And so that's what it's going to continue to tell us. Verse three, 
Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen in the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness for a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and you fought with them. And I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Gergesites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land which you didn't labor, cities that you didn't build, and you dwell in them, and eat of the vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. So, this is all written in the study on Substack if y'all want to go to that. I can't remember if this part is behind the paywall or not because I wasn't thinking about that at the time. But if you want the references for where he's talking about all this, you can click on the links and I go through all of that. But this is just their history telling them how God brought them, you know, out of Iraq, promised the land to Abraham gave Abraham a large family. There was a famine in the land. They moved to Egypt. When they, uh, when the Pharaoh that knew them there died, then the other Pharaoh enslaved them. God sent Moses and Aaron to free them from that slavery. He sent plagues on Egypt. Egypt drove them out and then changed their mind and chased them. God parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk across on dry land. And when they got across, he collapsed the sea on the Egyptians and drowned them. Then he was going to bring them into the promised land, but they didn't want to go. This is their father's generation. Their father's generation was afraid. And so they didn't let them go in. God didn't let them go in. And he made that generation wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until all of them died. And then he brought their children in. And this is their children. Their children have inherited the land. And he says, you know, when your generation came along, I brought you close to the Jordan River and the Amorites fought against you. And I let you beat them. And then you crossed the Jordan and you defeated all of the nations there. And now you have this inheritance. Look at all that God has done for you. That's what Joshua is trying to tell them. Look at everything that he's done, done for you. And then he says, I sent the hornet before you and I drove them out before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, not with the sword or with your bow that I drive them out. And we're not exactly sure what this hornet was. We don't know if this was a real hornet, if it was a figurative something that was visible, but he was just calling it that, that, you know, pushed them out of their land. 
Or what I tend to believe is that it's just God. He's just, you know, setting a fire on them, you know, so to speak and saying, you know, they, they decide we want to attack them. We're, we're not going to sit idly by. And so they just flee from their land and they run out and attack the Israelites. And that gives the Israelites a motive to fight with them. And then they win. That's what I'm thinking, but I don't know. And the scholars all dispute against what this is. But after that, the greatest thing that he says is that I gave you a land that you didn't work for. All of this land that they've got, they didn't do anything to receive this. And it's an abundant land. They didn't work it. They didn't plow it. They didn't plant it. It says they eat of the vineyards and the olive groves that they didn't plant. They live in the cities that they didn't build. God gave them an already existing land, a, a place that other people worked for. They're getting to benefit from. And it's all because God loves them and chose them out. And Abraham followed him. That's the whole reason that all of this is happening. And God even told them that he was going to do this. He says this in Deuteronomy 6. He says, um, when God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large and beautiful city that you didn't build, houses full of good things that you didn't fill, hewn out wells that you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. When you've eaten and you're full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. You shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people that are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, and all that he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. That is, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land that the Lord your God has sworn to your fathers to cast out your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come saying, what's the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and judgments that the Lord your God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and he showed signs and wonders before our eyes great and severe against Egypt Pharaoh and all his household and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us this land that he swore to our fathers and the Lord commanded us to observe these statutes to fear the Lord our God to do good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day then it will be righteousness for us. And if we are careful to observe all the commands before the Lord our God that he has commanded us. So he's saying in this passage, Moses was telling the people the exact same thing that Joshua was telling them, except he was saying it preemptively. Now it's happened. And he goes into more detail telling about how they have this land that they didn't work for wells, that they didn't dig everything, houses full of stuff. All of these things for them. God has done all of this for them. And he says, but be careful. When you get into this land, do not follow their gods. 
And so both of them, Moses and Joshua, are trying to remind the people everything that God's done for them. Because if you see everything that God's done for you, then you're going to want to obey him, right? You're going to want to follow him. It's trying to remind them that they owe him. They owe God everything that they have. Everything they have has been given to them by the Lord. I want you to listen to what it says in Psalm 103. This is the first 13 verses. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. It's important that we don't forget what God, the benefits that come with God, right? The God that forgives all your iniquities heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He hasn't dealt with us according to our sins or punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. If that doesn't inspire you (laughs) to follow God. I don't know what will, right? Remembering all of the things that he does, the one that heals our diseases and forgives our sins, all of these things that it listed here. God does all these things for us. That's what Joshua and Moses both tried to tell the people, look at all the things that God has done for you. Now follow him. Follow him in this new land. And so here's where Joshua says it. This is Beginning in verse 14 of chapter 24, he says, Now, therefore, because of all these things, because of everything that God has done for you, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord this day, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land that you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua is saying, because God's done all these things, you should serve him. But if you don't think that's a good idea, don't. You've got a choice. But I know what my choice is. I'm going to serve him. I see everything that he's done for me. and. I'm going to serve him. And so is the rest of my household. And then listen to what the Israelites response is to Joshua. This is verse 16. And they say, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went among the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all of these people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, 
He is our God. So they're like what I was saying about my kids earlier. We don't have a choice. This isn't a choice. We can't possibly serve another God because they didn't do all of these things for us. God is the one that did these things for us. And we're going to serve him because of the things that he's done for us. How could we betray him by serving another God? How could we? This is not a choice. But Joshua knows. Joshua knows that they're not going to be faithful always. They will falter. And so this is Joshua's response to them. Verse 19, he said, you can't serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. And he won't forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, he will turn and do harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Now, this part where he says he won't forgive our trans, their transgressions, we think of forgiveness in terms of salvation. Like we're, our sins won't ever be forgiven. We'll never find redemption. We're going to die in our sins and go to hell. That's not what he's talking about here. This word literally means lift or carry away. And so he says, I'm not going to take these sins away from you. If you want to do it, if you want to make that choice, like I was saying about my kids, you can do it. I'll let you. You want to serve foreign gods? Go ahead. I'm not going to take that from you. But if you do, then I will turn from you. And where I used to do you good, now I'm going to do you harm. There will be a consequence, but you can do it. I'm not going to force you. And the people said again to Joshua, no, we're going to serve the Lord. And so Joshua said, okay, your witnesses against yourself that you've chosen to serve the Lord for yourselves. So serve him. And they said, yes, we're witnesses. We're all witnesses here. We all said it and everyone heard it. And now everyone standing here is saying, I heard him say that. I heard her say that. We have all made a commitment and I'm going to hold every single person here accountable to that. I'm going to remind them whenever they want to seek after other gods or go their own way and not follow God's way, I'm going to remind them that they said this this day. And then Joshua said, okay, this is verse 23. Go put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with them that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak that was in the sanctuary, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And he said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words that the Lord has spoken to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. So he said, okay, if you're making this promise, then I'm going to stand this memorial up. And this memorial is going to remind you always that you made this promise. All these people will remind you and this stone will remind you. It stands here saying you made this promise to follow God all the days of your life. Now, coincidentally, this place, Shechem, is where God first made the promise to Abraham that he would inherit the land. It's also the place that Jacob bought land. 
And then he ended up having to flee that land because his sons uh, sinned against the people that were living there. But he actually bought a piece of land there in Shechem. And so this is a special place. But even more special to this specific place is this exact tree that they just pledged that they would not worship other gods. This exact tree, Jacob made the same promise to God. God renamed Jacob Israel under this tree. He said, your name is no longer Jacob the deceiver. Your name is now Israel because you have wrestled with God and man and you have prevailed. And so the man who the nation is named after stood under this tree and he pledged to serve God all the days of his life. And God told him, then I want you to take all of your foreign gods, all of the gods that you got when you ran away from this land and you married the other women, their gods, Laban's gods, their father's gods that you might have brought with you, I want you to bury them underneath this tree. And I want you to pledge today that you will serve no other gods. These gods are gone and you will not serve them any longer. This is your land that I'm going to give to your descendants and you're going to follow me all the days of your life. And Jacob did that. He buried all of those gods underneath that tree. And now the nation that bears his name is pledging that they will not even have an inclination towards other gods. They will put them out of their minds and they will serve the Lord, their God. And then Joshua sets this memorial up under this very tree. And then after this, the very end, it says Joshua dies when he's 110 years old and they bury him in the town that he inherited there in Ephraim. And they call him the servant of the Lord. And this is exactly what they said about Moses too. Moses was also the servant of the Lord. Joshua was Moses's successor and he's lived up to that name. So. We know that Joshua has been successful at his mission, right? And then it also says that they took the bones from Joseph because Joseph lived and died in Egypt. And he asked his family, he said, when you get taken out of here, because God had already given that promise, he said, I want to be buried in my father's land. Will you bury me back where my father Jacob lived before he was brought here to Egypt? And so when they left Egypt, when they fled, they took Joseph's bones and they buried them also here in Shechem. And then it says that Eleazar, the priest, who was Aaron's son, he also died. He was of this generation. Moses and Aaron were the leaders of the first generation. Joshua and Eleazar were the leaders of the second. And so he also died and is buried in his son Phineas's land, which is also in the land of Ephraim. So that ends this entire book of Joshua. Joshua is done. And next week we'll start Judges. But I just want us to reflect for ourselves now, okay? God told the people, he said, you have a choice. You can choose not to follow me. But if you don't follow me and you follow other gods, then I'm going to allow you to do that. But you'll suffer the consequences of that. And he's told them in lots of places throughout the Bible that the consequences of that 
will be that he will eventually take them from this land. Because see, God has given them this land. But if they don't want to serve God anymore, then they shouldn't get the land that God has given to them, right? If they want to serve other gods, then they can go to the other nations where the other gods are being served and they can live under those gods and they can see if those gods have anything to offer them like God has offered to them, right? This is why Joshua is reminding them of everything that God has done for them because he's saying, you know, no other God is going to do this for you. No other God can do this because all of them are inanimate objects. They're not living. They don't have any ability. But if you want to do that, if you want to go serve those other gods, then God's not going to stop you. He's not going to lift that sin from you. He's going to allow you to do that. He's going to allow you to follow those other gods. But eventually, if you continue to do that, then he's going to say, I'm done with you. You don't get this land anymore. You want to serve those other gods? Then you can get their benefits and not mine. See how that works for you. It won't go well. Luckily, he also promises that when they call out to him, when they realize their sin and they repent of it, he'll bring them back to the land. And so we'll get to look forward to all of these things will happen. They will betray him. They will get captured. They will go into a foreign land, but they will get to come back to this land. They will repent of it. And so Joshua told them that he's a jealous God. He's jealous for his people. Just like a jilted spouse, just like a spouse who you devote yourself to. And that's what he's trying to tell them. And that's what we need to know today. If you commit to him, if you make this commitment today, that's why Joshua kept saying, are you sure? I want you to understand what it means to follow him. And I want you to understand what it looks like if you don't. Because you need to understand this commitment you're making and you need to stand firm on it. And so when we make a commitment, when we commit to a spouse, when we sign those papers, right? And we tell that person, I love you and I'm going to commit myself to you forever. Then we're expected to do that. And if we decide to cheat on that spouse, but we don't want to leave them because we want to stay in the house and we want to get their money and their possessions and all of the things that come along with having a family, right? We want all of those things. So we don't want to leave that person, but we don't want to fully commit to them because we want to go be with this other man too sometimes. Well, if our husband finds out, he's going to say, no, you make a choice. You either stay here and you live with me and you get everything that comes with that. And yes, he's a human. And so sometimes things won't be great, but there's a lot of good things. Or if you don't like it, if that seems bad to you, then you can leave. You can go and you can be with that other man and you can see what he gives you, but it won't be a family. It won't be everything that I give you. You don't get to have both of them. So you need to make a choice right now. And that's what God is saying. He says, don't expect that you can betray me, that you can worship other gods, that you can turn away from me and that I'll then still give you all of the benefits. You get all of the good things and none of the bad. Do you notice that there are people out there that will do this? They will say, yes, I believe in God. I want him to take all my sins away and I'll, and I'll pray to him every time that I need something. But then I'll go and live my life however I want to live it. You think he's patient with us because I think we all sin. We all do things against him at times. But will there come a point for those people where he says, hey, 
You said that you wanted my salvation. You want me to answer your prayers. You want me to give you good things on this earth. And yet you don't want to follow me. You don't want to get up and go to church because you're tired. You don't want to read your Bible because it's boring. You don't want to obey me because you've got better ideas. You want to do your own thing. And then you want me to give you all the benefits. No, (laughs) no, I don't want to do that. That's not fair. That's not how it works. You don't get to get all of the good from me and then do whatever you want to do. Just take all the good things and then I don't want to be with you whenever it's not easy. We talk about this sometimes when a man has a mistress, right? It's like, oh, he wants the wife. So she'll cook and clean and do all of these things, take care of the kids. He wants that, right? But then he wants to go get a mistress. And he thinks that the mistress is better than his wife. But the reason that the mistress is better than his wife is because the mistress doesn't have to do any of the things that the wife has to do. The mistress doesn't have to, uh, you know, share her money with him, share her ideas about raising children with him. She doesn't have to pick up after him whenever he doesn't pick up after himself. She doesn't get frustrated with him because he never does anything wrong because they just meet, they do fun things, and then that's it, right? And God's like, no, (laughs) you don't get that. You can't have a mistress. You can't have a man on the side. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Do you choose me? If you do, then commit yourself to me. Then don't just make me your savior. Make me your Lord. Right? Listen to what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. Do you notice that what they're professing, they're not professing that he's their savior. They're saying they believe in him as the savior, but then they profess him as their Lord. They say out loud with witnesses all around, you're my Lord. I trust in you. I will follow you. That's the important part. We don't just get the salvation. We have to make him our Lord. James 4, 4 through 5 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Again, God is jealous. We can't say that we love him and then flirt with the things of this world. He says, no, you need to make a choice. Do you want to do what you want to do? Do you want to do what I want want you to do? Maybe you don't want to do what I want you to do, but do you want the consequences of that? It's like, no, I want to do what I want to do. And I want the consequences of doing what you want me to do. It's like, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. Matthew 10, 32 to 33 says, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before the father who is in heaven. We might not think that we're denying God, 
But what does that James verse said say? It says, if we're a friend of the world, then we're an enemy of God. There is a choice. You cannot have both. So if you are not confessing God, then you are denying him. If you're not confessing Jesus as your Savior, then you are denying him. If you're not confessing him as Lord of your life, then you are denying him. So what's your choice today? Do you choose God? Do you choose to believe that Jesus died for your sins? And then will you commit to him? Will you make him your Lord? Will you do it in front of witnesses? You know, we do this in a marriage too, right? That's why we have marriage ceremonies with witnesses because we make a vow in front of other people. We don't do a good job at this now because that's what it's for is for these witnesses to say, hey, I heard you promise to give your life to that man or that woman. I stood in that church and I listened to you make a promise before God and man that this man you were going to be with until death do you part. So you better do that. That's what those witnesses are there for. And God wants us to do the same thing for him. Say out loud in front of your church, tell other people, I'm going to follow God. I want him to be my Lord, not only my Savior. And then commit your life to him. Choose him today. So that's the end of Joshua. Next week, we will be in Judges. You can go to livethroughjesus.com or livethroughjesus.substack.com. I have the blog post there for free on both of those sites. If you want the written lesson, then you'll have to pay for that $6 a month, $60 a year at Substack. And also follow me on social media. I'll be posting some of the verses. I did not get to all the verses here today. So you'll have to look on social media for those verses or buy the lesson because I ran out of time. It was too much. So anyway, I'll see y'all back next week and we'll start judges. Thanks and have a good day.